welcome. Thank you for joining us here at AmazingLove.org. And, uh, you know, it's been a dream of mine to reach people all across the world with a message of Jesus and his love. And so whether you're joining us from near or far, so glad that you're here. And we'd love to hear what God is doing in your life. So if he's blessed you by this ministry, please email us at impactatamazinglove at gmail.com. If you'd like to support this ministry and make sermons like this possible every week ongoing, please go to amazinglove.org and go to our giving tab. But now may God bless you. May he guide you. May he speak into your life and direct you all through the power of his love. Thank you. Dear friends, I invite you to uh, pray with me. Let's ask God to bless the preaching of your word. Heavenly Father, you promised that as the rain comes down and waters the earth, so it is with your word that when we hear it, it's not without effect. Rather, it takes root in our hearts. It builds us up. It guides us. It directs us. Lord, help us to be then guided and built up by that word. Give to your people what they need today. Direct them and, and, and let us see again your joy. Let us see your beauty and uh, your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. friends, good to see you, especially during Christmas, how awesome it is to worship together. And I want to let you know, one of the things I really enjoy about life is laughter. There's nothing more I enjoy than laughing from the belly or laughing until you cry. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You enjoy laughter. And uh, so at our house, we like to tell knock-knock jokes. Um, not very good, but we tell knock-knock jokes. Or have you ever asked Siri knock-knock? It's funny, it's one of the prompted things. Uh, she doesn't do knock-knock jokes, but uh, we're always on the hunt of uh, clean comedians. I remember growing up in a household where we listened to records of clean comedians, and now I was recently shown another clean comedian. Maybe you've heard of this guy, uh, Jim Gaffigan. Um, haven't listened to him with the kids, but so far a lot of his stuff is, is clean and good and family-friendly, and uh, you know, that's always a hard feat to do. Um, I grew up in a subculture of sarcastic humor. That was my schooling. At MLC in seminary, there was just sarcasm everywhere. Um, and uh, I remember it, it reached its pinnacle at our cafeteria meals. Uh, when we ate in the cafeteria, there was a table affectionately known as the leper colony. Now, you could send people to the leper colony if you didn't like what they were wearing, if it was their birthday, if they just got engaged. For any reason, basically, you could send them to the leper colony, and then you could point unclean. And uh, they couldn't talk, and they couldn't participate, the rest of us. And uh, this is a bit of the culture that I was familiar with. Um, but there's a problem if you appreciate humor, and there's a problem with comedy, and, and the problem is, is really presented in this next question. Um, have you ever laughed at the unlaughable? <laughs> You've been talking to someone, and you thought it was the punchline, but it wasn't? Not a good thing. <laughs> you ever used humor, and you thought it was going to be funny, but it ended up hurting someone in the end? You know, comedians, they talk about a line that you can cross, 
And we live in a day and age where there's so many comedians, so many people trying to make a laugh that, that they cross the lines intentionally just to see if there's some shock value, if they can, if they can get us you know, to react in some way or another, right? And so it happens that, that maybe we laugh at the unlaughable. And what I want to consider with you is that I believe there is something that is so far above, is so great and glorious, is so holy, so deserving of, raw, of awe, of reverence, so majestic, that attempts at humor just don't do it. There is something that I believe shouldn't be made fun of in this world. At least that's the house that I grew up in. There were, there were things that were sacred and, and should be held as such. And that is what I want to talk about you today when we talk about our God. Now, again, welcome if you're just joining us uh, to Amazing Love. And, and feel free to have questions about Christianity. Uh, but, but truly, if, if you're new to Christianity, this one's going to hit you like a ton of bricks. And I don't know how to tiptoe around this topic. Because in my core, as a preacher, as I read the Word, I, I believe that God deserves our, all our reverence and even what we'll talk about, our fear. I believe so. He deserves our, all our reverence and our fear. But I, I've considered a problem. I believe that in our society, one of the problems that we're dealing with, I've put my finger on it, and I'm not sure how we got here, is this, that we don't have sufficient fear of God. Would you agree with me? That, that we live in a world where nothing is sacred. And I'm not sure if it's because we live in a world that appreciates comedy. I, I'm not sure another conjecture or guess or grasping at straws. Maybe it's that we're so me-centric. That we've elevated ourselves to such a level, you can't go beyond it. We're there and so we don't live in fear of God because we stand on top of everything. But the reality is, I don't know how we got here. I just think we're here. We don't, we don't have a sufficient fear of God and and I wanted to ask you, because you're my friends and you're here, and I need to ask it, do you have a sufficient fear of God? Now, talk about that word fear. I, I read some commentaries, some Bible scholars who like to say, well, that fear just means reverential awe. That fear doesn't really mean being afraid. I'm here to tell you I think it means being afraid. I really do. In fact, this is what I do. I was reading the Bible this past week, and if you're a Christian... And if you say, maybe I don't have sufficient awe of God, I want to challenge you, okay? I want to throw a gauntlet down. Are you ready for my challenge? Read the Old Testament prophets. Just pick one. Pick Isaiah. Pick Jeremiah. Pick Malachi. Read them. They're in the Bible. You probably have a Bible. Read the Bible. Because when I did, I was reading Isaiah recently, I couldn't escape the fear of God. For example, I was reading from Isaiah, and, and, and from Isaiah, he refers to other gods as vain idols and worthless. He, he presents in Isaiah how he rages over sin, how there is severe punishment for rebellion, how he's not just some kind grandpa winking at naughty children. No, he is raging and mad. I read in the Bible how he makes judgments on different nations. How, how he makes some nations cursed and some nations blessed. And he never asks our opinion on foreign policy. He never asks what we think about the decision. I read how he deals with arrogant people. The arrogant king of Babylon who wanted to raise himself like God. 
and because of that was put down. I read about a man named Herod. This is a striking passage. I don't know if you know what happened to Herod. Look at this passage with me. Um, immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, he was, he was being arrogant, setting himself up. Look what happens. An angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. That's incredible. He didn't give praise to God. Next verse, died. Worms. I don't escape it. I, I can't be a good messenger from God unless I tell you how important it is to fear God. Consider this passage from Isaiah. Do not fear what they fear. And I think this is so timely because we know what it is to be afraid, isn't it? Some of you came in and you're afraid of stuff. I'm just here to tell you, you're probably afraid of the wrong stuff. Some of you came in and you're afraid of your boss. You're afraid of what the company's doing. Got some kids in the building. You're afraid of the dark. You're afraid of that teacher who's kind of mean. You're afraid of what's under the bed, you know? Got other people who are afraid of all sorts of different things. I'm afraid of, you know, um, the, the, the stressors of my life and, and, and all these different things. But I think we're maybe afraid of the wrong thing because look at what it goes on to say. Do not dread it, whatever that it is. Rather, the Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. And this is why I think fear means fear, because he is the one you are to dread. Be afraid of God. Merry Christmas. <laughs> but it's important in this final chapter of worshiping God, isn't it? It's important because if we never understand his authority, his majesty, we will never respond properly. We will never give back from a place that says, I am less than and you are greater. We will never say, your will above mine. Teach me, Lord. Let me give you all that I am because you are worthy. That doesn't happen without understanding the great fear of God. And so we want to talk about what it is to bow our knees. And bowing our knees is literally this idea that um, I am making myself lesser because he's greater. It's literally saying, I submit to this person. It's literally saying, I'll hear to you above me. I'll follow your ways above my ways. And this is what we want to talk about. How we can bow our knees to God. And so let's get into it. Um, our lesson for today is from uh, Psalm 95. And uh, we heard a little bit of it read. I invite you to follow along with me. It says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is a great God and the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands form the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. This is the word we consider, and it said again, let us bow down, let us kneel. That's what we want to consider. You know, around the idea of marriage, there are some interesting customs, aren't there? In fact, I was thinking, culturally speaking, one is one of the only times that we bow, and it's usually when we bow for a bride. Will you marry me, right? It's the only customary time we, we kneel. And, and, and literally here, you know, this is a tangent, but it is saying, you know, I will submit to you um, because I love you. And, and you must know that Christian marriage is based on that mutual submission. 
that one spouse says, I submit to you, and the other spouse says, I submit to you, and, and that's how marriage is done from God's vantage point. But I consider other uh, customs of marriage, and, and one of them is not to see the bride until she's in the aisle the day of. You know what I'm talking about? And, and the reason is because the bride is getting all done up. She's got the dress, hasn't shown it to the groom yet. Went to the salon, got her hair done. Getting the makeup on. And the goal of this is so that when she is down the aisle and the groom and them meet eyes, the groom's reaction is like, the groom maybe cries. The groom maybe says hubba hubba internally. The groom says, wow, I married a beauty, right? We know what that is. And maybe you remember your marriage day and just being struck by the appearance of someone else. The groom to the bride. I'm not sure if that happens with brides to grooms. I'm not sure what women see in men in general. We're disgusting creatures, but that's just me. Anyway, um, but, but you know what it is to be in awe of, of someone's beauty, and maybe that takes you back to that wedding day. On a much grander scale, this, this emotion of reacting like, whoa, is what it would be like to be in the presence of God. I remember this one story. Moses wanted to meet God. He said, God, I'd like to see you face to face. And look what God says. He says, you can't see my face, for no one can see my face, my beauty, my glory, and live. He is so holy. He is so higher. He so stands above that we can't even look at it. He, he would just blow us away because he's so good. He's so holy. And we are so less than I'm reminded of this because of the Old Testament. When they went to worship God, there was a temple and it had the holy place and the most holy place. And we were talking with our women's group about the most holy place. And, and in the most holy place, the priest would enter once a year. And in the most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant, which was a symbol of God's presence. And he could only enter once a year with blood because sin separated from a holy God. And an interesting thing we were talking about with the ladies' group was that there was a rope around his foot. And there was a rope around his foot so that if he died while he was in there, someone could drag his dead body out of there because he wasn't proper with God. That's incredible. Reminds me of like an Indiana Jones movie. Oh, I remember the Ark of the Covenant, right? And, and some people who didn't carry that, and that was the presence of God, if you didn't carry or treat it right, you could die. Which is to say what I'm trying to, to get to is this, that God stands above every other person or idea or thing. And that's what the psalmist experienced. Look at verse 3. He said, For the Lord, you need to know this about the Lord. He's a great God. And He's a great King above all gods. There's nothing that stands above Him. Nothing. Not a celebrity. Not a world ruler. Not your mom. Not your dad. Not your spouse. Not your child. He's above. And it's because of this I want to talk about then bowing our knees in specific areas. And uh, setting that up, uh, there's an interesting game being uh, given this Christmas. I don't know if anyone's seen videos of this game. I don't know why you want to do this, right? Unless you like whipped cream. And so the, the point is, you know, you put the whipped cream on the thing and and then you spin as many times as it tells you to spin and, and hopefully it doesn't smack you with the, you know, right? And you pass it along until everyone has pie in their face, right? I believe this may be a picture 
of if we don't listen and bow to the majesty of God. I believe one of the reasons that you should bow to him is because if you don't, you will end up with proverbial pie in your face. That's what I want to talk about. And so the first area that I would love to submit to you that we should bow before him is this. Bow to his word. Bow to his word. Now this is going to be especially hard if you're an intelligent person. This is going to be especially hard if your family knows you as the answer man or the answer lady. This is going to be especially hard the more education you have because with education comes a tinge of arrogance. But we are to bow to his word. I consider um, the posture of one man who wanted to learn from God. There was this intercourse, this discourse between um, a, a man who wanted to, to learn, how must I inherit eternal life? And, and, and it went on to say, okay, I can inherit eternal life uh, by loving my neighbor and loving God above all else. But he was a rich man and he went away empty because he didn't sell all his stuff. Do you remember that story? Well, the story is there, but look at his posture when he asked the question. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees. He fell on his knees before him. And then he asked this question. So, so our posture before the Lord, before opening his word, before listening to him, the words of the Bible say, I, I'm going to listen to you. I'm, I'm going to forego all my knowledge, I'm, my experience, what, what people have told me, my worldview, and you just go. And for me, I don't think it's necessarily about listening to a pastor or a church body per se, but letting the Word of God stand on its own. But this is difficult. It's difficult because we have worldviews that collide with God's view. We have societal norms that aren't norms from God's perspective. We have things that we'd rather just not hear in the Word, let's be honest. And yet, God stands above. A passage that tells us to do this is from 2 Corinthians. It says, we should demolish any argument. If there's any idea out there, if there's any ideology, any philosophy, if it sets itself up against the knowledge of God, we should take it captive and make it obedience to his word. We should take it captive and now filter that topic through the lens of God's word, not vice versa. Bow to his word. Because no one wants to hear, I told you so. Anyone ever tell you that? Sometimes I'm driving, and I, I won't mention who, but... It's actually not Kat. Um, but, but sometimes people like to tell me where to go. And it's usually people who are more familiar with those territories. And sometimes I know they're right, and I don't listen. Because I'm dad. But I do hear, I told you so. Ever happened to you? Anyone just love saying, I told you so, mom or dad? We should bow to his word because whether you agree with it or not today, whether the Spirit has convinced you of it, he might not come out and say, I told you so, but you'll have that experience. You'll be like, whoa, you mean you told me not to do that? That would have been good. You told me to do that? Oh, yeah, that, that would have been good too. So we bow to his word so we don't hear, I told you so. Another way to bow. 
Um, bow to his ways. Bow to his ways. Um, talking about this, I, I love it when you have things that improve your life, don't you? Um, I was watching Good Morning America, and they were looking at inventions. And there's this one kitchen invention, because um, you just need more kitchen stuff, don't you? Um, of how not to cut your fingers off. And uh, this was uh, the product. I'm not sure if that's how they labeled it. How not to cut your fingers off. Here it was. Um, the guard as you're cutting cucumbers, or are they bananas? I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, um, we, we understand that that's an improvement versus cutting your finger. Um, I like to improve other areas of my life, especially my drinking of coffee. And so I'm, I'm, I'm tempted by this machine. I don't know if anyone's got it, if it's any better than K-Cups or whatever. But, but I know a, a Ninja coffee bar, if it can improve my coffee life, maybe, maybe that's worth it. You know, Because we know what it is to try to want to improve life and, and better ways of making coffee and better ways ways of cutting things, right? What God offers you today is a better way. A way that isn't new and novel, but it sure has been tested by time. When we listen to him, he says, I'll show you the ways that will truly, truly bless you. You don't want to cut yourself. You don't want to hurt yourself. I'm here. Listen to me. Bow to my word. And you know how good he is? He's so good that if you sum up all of his commands, you just need one word. He's so good that you sum them all up and you know what that word is? You probably do. It's, it's love. That's a good God. And it's love to the degree that it isn't so me-centric. See, we're okay with loving as long as it benefits me. God is okay with you loving as long as it benefits everyone. Because he's higher. He's higher than you. He stands above and his ways are better. He offers for you to be better. But we're in a time of reflection, aren't we? This coming week we're going to be celebrating the new year, which is awesome. Hope the celebrations are, are good. And, and one of the natural things that happens over a new year is that we reflect on a, a year gone by and then we project for the new year. We reflect and we project. And, and I was uh, looking at the Tribune and uh, had a quiz of what happened in 2000. 15. It's your time to do your personal year in review. Uh, so my family has a road trip today. We're going to go over these questions. And some of the questions are, uh, um, I can't believe that in 2015 I, or this will be a good one, I regret how much money I spent on, um, or I wasted too much time on, right? You know what it is to reflect? We should do this spiritually. And one of the questions I wanted to ask you is this. Which of my ways didn't line up with God's way in 2015? Now's the time to do that. Was it with how you spent your free time? That you didn't have integrity when no one was looking? Was it with how you spent your money? Was it an attitude that you looked at the blessings of God and saw them as bitterness? You were just upset at how much they stressed you. Was it an attitude toward a boss, toward a spouse, toward a child? Do you have anything? What's one way that didn't line up with God's way in 2015? If you found it, I want to encourage you to do this. Then bow in repentance. See, a proper fear of God is to understand that if we don't repent, if our sins are still on us, we deserve his wrath and his eternal punishment. But what we need to know is that if we are willing to repent, to say, God, I'm sorry, to say, God, I need you, then you need to know that he loves, 
This majestic God who's worthy of fear, this God who stands above every other, this God loves to forgive. He is epically serious about his wrath over sin, and he's epically serious about his love for sinners. And he says to all repentant believers, come and you will find a warm embrace. Come and you will find forgiveness for anything that was in your life. Come, I I, I love to show mercy. It's why I sent my son. And we see his tenderness, we see his love in his approach at Christmas. For when Jesus came, he didn't come as some auspicious king sitting on a throne. He didn't come with a posse. He didn't come with clout. Rather, he came as a baby so that he'd be approachable, so that sinners wouldn't be scared of the awe of God, so that we could say, this God, he he can love me. I don't have to run from him. He came for me. This God loves to show mercy and tenderness, and he has at Christmas. But I invite you today not to simplify something that is complex. Don't you hate it when people try to simplify the complex? Like they hear your life story and they're like, oh yeah, I got you all figured out. You don't got me all figured out in one talking. Or we love to put things in neat little cubes, don't we? It all makes sense that way. Cube for that, cube for that, got it figured out. God won't let you do that. Please don't simplify the complex because at one end, at one end, he rages over sin and at the other, he loves to show mercy. At one end, he is the almighty ruler to whom every knee shall someday bow and at the other end, he's a helpless baby who would become a man saying, kids, you want to come sit on my lap? Sit on my lap. I'm that tender. At one end, he is the ruler who who does things without our asking. And at the other end, he invites us to call us dad, to call him dad, and to ask him for stuff. He's both at the same time. Don't simplify his complex nature. Rather, appreciate that the majestic God also invites us to call him friend and dad. Perhaps this is why Luther, when he was explaining the commandments, there was one line in all the explanation, and that line was, we should fear and love God. Luther got it. We should fear and love God, because fear and love are both appropriate. But I want to leave you with an upside. I know this is a lot of law. I believe that at the other end of fear of God is tremendous freedom. Can I point that out before we go? I believe if we get this right, this fear of God thing right, we will live in such peace and freedom as never experienced before. And let me set it up this way. Let's say there is a debate between family members. Let's say that a child wants something, but a spouse wants something else. Okay, so let's set it up. Maybe it's a dinner table conversation. And the child only wants to eat one thing. Now, if we live in fear of the child, which is a bad thing to do, we will say, okay, you just eat that one thing. You want some more, I'll give it to you. Don't worry about the ucky beans and the meat. Don't worry about those ucky vegetables. You just eat that thing, whatever that is. Now, that's living in fear of your child, though not wise. Then you could live in fear of the spouse, and the spouse says, you better eat everything. And so if you live in fear of the spouse, you say, no child, you're going to eat everything. You know who said the rule. 
and fear that spouse. And, and you might even use what you have. No, so you're going to eat it, and if you don't, you're going to, you know, X, Y, and Z, right? You know, and that's a much better option, isn't it? You live in fear of the spouse over fear of the child. What is it to live in fear of God? Who are you afraid of today? I want to just assess a little bit. Is it fear for a boss? Is it possible to be so terrified about the status of your job, so terrified about doing a good job, getting a good report, that you do things that you know you shouldn't do, but you do them because you live in fear of that boss? Maybe it's things that you just know are wrong, and you do them anyway because you're afraid of losing your job. Maybe it's family time, and you know you should be a better this, that, or the other, but you don't because you live in fear of this guy rather than in fear of God. Is it perhaps fear of the future? You're so concerned about the future, so uptight about it, so worried about the sky falling that you might do things, maybe, maybe unethical again, maybe stealing, maybe, maybe you use people, maybe you take from people, maybe you don't show love because you're so uh, adamant about trying to control something because you're so afraid of, of losing and, and not being able to control the future. So you, you live in fear of the future instead of fear of God. Is it possible to live in fear of a spouse that I so don't want to live in an area of disapproval, I'm so even afraid of losing them that I don't stand my ground on what I know I should stand on and make a confession at this point? Do we live in fear of children? We love our children, but are they ever in an improper place that, that we'd give in to them rather than saying no, that, that, that we almost worship them on a, on a level that it's kind of God-like. Here's what the fear of God does. And here's the freedom. If I go to my job and I fear God above all, I can lose my job, can I? I'm free to do that, aren't I? And why? Now, now get, get me straight. I, I don't want anyone to lose their job here. <laughs> But I can lose it because I know the God who I ultimately feared holds me and holds everything way more than my boss does. <laughs> I can fear my God over my spouse, can I? And I don't want there to be more arguments than there already are. Not what I'm talking about. Marriage is hard. But when I do that, when I live for God, it'll make a statement, won't it? And that statement will have ramifications for the rest of the time we do marriage and that'll be good. I can live in fear of God over my kids. And when I do this, maybe I'm, I'm more apt to show them their proper place. That I love them, but they need to follow my parental lead. And they'll follow my parental lead because they see me following the lead of someone higher. And then they will understand their place. Do you see how the fear of God actually just sets you free? Because he stands above all those other categories and is way better than the end product of all those other things. Fear of God sets you free to trust that it's going to be all right because you hold him and you put your fear where it needs to be. So I wanted to say first with Solomon that... that um, this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But also, I want to take that further and say that if you fear the Lord, I believe you could live without fear of anything. If you just keep your awe of Him and know that He's got you, 
You're set up for the rest of your life. Fear him, bow your knees, and experience the freedom on the other side. May you and I do this and then experience his goodness as we continue to worship him our whole life long. Amen. Please stand.